Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. everybody and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Captain Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr and I'm joined by my co-host Amphis Quoxin, George Cup. Hello everyone. This evening Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. So this evening we will be discussing should there be a second Leveson inquiry into press standards? What is the best takeaway? And lastly, would you rather go abroad or stay in the UK for your next holiday? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked for you guys to send in your questions for George and I to answer. Um, and we'll crack right on with the first question. It's from Adam. Or actually, two questions, he said. Um, but they're all tied into one. So earlier today, so that was last Sunday, the 16th of February, Rose Lander was talking about Dominic Cummings and the precedent of special advisors in the government. I know there's always a lot of talk about Dominic Cummings and a lot of people seem to hate him. But my questions are, do you think we should be afraid of Dominic Cummings having too much power? And is there actually a history of prime ministers have, having such influential advisors, so special advisors rather? People seem to have different opinions on both of those. George, what's yours? 
Uh, I think Dominic Cummings, firstly, is a very clever man. Uh, he knows what he wants and in a way he knows what he's doing. Um, you don't have to agree with what he's doing, but he, he does appear to know what he's doing. Um, I personally believe that Dominic Cummings is the, uh, man actually at the helm of the, uh, number 10 ship. And <laughs> he, he is the person that is steering and, and Mr. Johnson is actually the, uh, puppet that is being told what to say, where to go and how to act. Um, because he's very good at doing the oratory and uh, getting on with the people. So uh, essentially, I think that Dominic Cummings does have a scary amount of influence on how this country is run. And definitely there is the argument of does he have too much power? I believe that you could kind of argue that over any years that the advisors to prime ministers have always had the power. It's just the way Dominic Cummings has gone around it is it seems to be a bit more um, obvious that it's Dominic Cummings that is the uh, pushing force behind the, the decisions that are being made by the conservative government. So yeah, I would say that Dominic Cummings, it definitely does have too much power and off the top of my head, Adam, I'm going to be absolutely honest. I don't believe I can think of a special advisor that has been as influential. But I think one that sticks into my head, and I cannot remember his name, was the special advisor to Theresa May. Um, he was a big part of uh, how the Brexit deal went about while she was in government um, and also prime minister. And uh, he had a lot of influence on that. And I think he is partly some of the reason why uh Theresa May got into the mess that she did. But Callum, what are your opinions on Adam's questions? Um, just um, b- before I get to that, was it was it Nick Timothy, the, uh, the um, advisor to Theresa May? Is that who you were alluding to? That was indeed. Thanks yes. for using Google. <laughs> yeah, I can't pretend I did. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I've just thought I'd Google it whilst you were uh, wittering away, chattering on. Uh, <laughs> as I'm doing now. Uh, so, in terms of do I think Dominic Cummings has too much power? I, I think undoubtedly he does. I mean, he he is unelected. Okay, he might have been on the winning side in a lot of um, recent really important elections and referendums, but he he is an unelected official in himself, and he, he seems to, as George says, has a lot of sway. Um, over what the government is doing. Now, whether or not there's a, a history of this, I think there is actually a history of this, not for every Prime Minister. Um, I think if we look at the examples of David Cameron and Theresa May, I don't think in the same sense they had such influential advisors as what Boris Johnson appears to have. But if we look at Tony Blair, actually, um, he had... Um, he had Alistair Campbell, um, who was basically his spin doctor, uh, and he also had Jonathan Powell, who was his his special advisor, so similar to what Dominic Cummings is. And both yeah. of these had a massive, massive influence um, upon upon policy, and and they were, uh, I believe, they were given the chance to sit in on certain important meetings, including sometimes cabinet meetings, which was really unprecedented. Um, at the time. So I, I think there is actually a precedent for Prime Ministers having these really influential special advisors. Um, but as we know with with the Tony Blair Premiership, it was 
shrouded in a lot of unrest really and and a lot of um kind of very cloak and dagger things going on where um because Tony Tare was a very good orator, maybe he got away with things that in other times he wouldn't have done. Mm. Um and so I'm not really sure that Tony Blair's precedent is a good precedent for government to have. But I, I would say that when Labour and all the other parties, I suppose, are, are getting very, very irate about Dominic Cummings' influence, we have to look at it in the, the context of the fact that actually, well, Labour have, have made these um, these mistakes as well, or if they indeed they are mistakes yeah no absolutely and I, the, the biggest issue with me with Dominic Cummings is and if you are not wrong the most conservative MPs do not like Dominic Cummings uh, because he has he doesn't just make judgments on uh, evidence and facts he will make judgments on people because he doesn't like them and if you don't yeah. if you're not liked by Dominic Cummings you are out of the government um, we saw that a lot in the reshuffle um, an example for uh, Sadi Javid where he refused um, to fire all of his advisors from uh, number 11 and as such they told Sadi Javid to walk and obviously he did so Right, let's move on to our second question from Maya. Uh, and she says, I'm sure you get asked this question the whole time, but what do you think will make the government finally take real action on climate change? We just had Saul Kyria, Ky- Ky- is it Kyra? I don't know. I can't remember now. Yeah, Kira, I think. Kira, thank you. Now you've got Storm Dennis. That's an easy one. There are la- <laughs> there are landslides, flooding, fires around the world. It's clear that climate change is having a real effect on the planet and this country. Just think back to the heat wave we had last summer. It shocks me that even with all of that, the big protest in town, nothing major has happened. So what do you think it will take? Well, Callum, far away. <laughs> See, I'm... I think it's actually really difficult for the government to take real action on climate change because the, the trouble is that climate change is such an issue that it does, I know it sounds like a real kind of metropolitan Remainers argument in terms of it, it transcends borders, but it, it really does climate change. I mean, if the government were to tomorrow Somehow, I mean, this would be ludicrous, but somehow they were to cut out all our carbon emissions. We wouldn't be um, overusing plastic. We wouldn't be, you know, doing all of these bad things for the environment. It would only make a really small impact. The the truth of the matter is that's not to absolve them of responsibility. But I do think that we have to look at it in that context and say that the best kind of actions that come are on an international level. Um, you know, where, where we saw the, the big um, uh, Paris Climate Conference a, a few years back where there were really big commitments and, and then it's, of course, about following up those commitments. Um, and I, I think, the, though, to kind of answer the question in, in more specific terms, in terms of when would the government you know, really, truly treat this as a, as a major policy priority. I think it's when we start to really feel the effects of it, unfortunately, or probably more likely when 
the government changes. I, I do think that it's more likely that under a Labour government, which is the most likely alternative government, that they will take firmer action um, over this. But that's partly just because of an ideological thing, because Labour is much more inclined um, to be supportive of state intervention, whereas the Conservative Party is a bit more apprehensive um, to get involved. So they, so they think the best way is to, to basically incentivize businesses to do this by making it profitable, which I, I, I can see the merits of both arguments, really. What do you think, George? Well, I think um, personally for me, there, there, as you've correctly said, Helen, it is very hard for a government to make such a drastic policy that we will actually see the changes um, of uh, climate change. But at the same time, I think this government, yes, it, it isn't doing everything that it can possibly be doing, but it is doing a lot in terms of getting climate change. And we are leading the way forward in climate change um, into making sure that we are reducing our carbon footprint and we are reducing our CO2 levels. And, and if we compare it to, to some of the even the European countries, we are at the forefront to making sure that we look after our planet. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we should have an argument to say that just because we're at the forefront that we can relax a bit. Absolutely not. I think we should still be pushing forward and making sure that we are uh, keeping to the commitments of the Paris summit and, and um, areas like that. But I think that as Callum really has correctly said, the, to have anything evidence or have anything put into place that is going to take effect, I, I don't believe will ever really happen. Uh, yes, the, the Labour Party could come in and, and yes, they are more about uh, spending money. So potentially you would see more investment in, in these areas. But at the same time, for me, no matter what is brought into place, we will not see the change in environment and change in the reduction of CO2 and so on and so forth easily within the next uh, 20 to 50 years, because the effects that happen now will take a long enough time to actually become true, to actually become evidence, because it's not just a quick fix thing. This this has happened for many years and it's going to take many years to fix. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really think there is going to be uh, anything drastically can happen. And, and I think Callum's right in saying that the only time that we, something will happen or drastically happen is when um, we see a massive climate disaster happen here yeah yeah and um just um just to squeeze in the last question it's from brandon brandon says this is a bit of a left field one for cup and get i love the way people started calling us <laughs> i mean we do go out Callum, and just say we we introduce ourselves saying yeah it's cup and go yeah i even i even do it when i'm by myself <laughs> you don't look quite so good without me though do you george well <laughs> right but <laughs> carrying on uh, but seeing as basically every girl group and boy band has reunited over the past few years, most recently JLS and the Pussycat Dolls, but also looking back at like Take That, Spice Girls and the rumours of Oasis reuniting, is there a music group or band that you would like to see reunite? George? Um, I mean, I mean, definitely, probably... Someone, I'm, I'm really sad. Probably someone like Westlife. I would, I would like to uh, see. Are they really not like together them. still? <laughs> I don't, I don't really know if I'm honest with you. Uh, I haven't got a clue. But I, I can't think of any other group really that I grew up with listening that was like that I would want back together. I mean, possibly S Club. 
I love S Club. Reach up to the stars and everything. I just um, think that would be sad now, though, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know. Why would it be sad? I just, I just don't know. They feel like they, they're one of those bands that they have to be young when they're doing, they're singing the songs they're doing. If they're old, they just look weird. Have you ever heard of Botox? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't always work very well, no. George. We should not be condoning <laughs> that. <laughs> what, what group or uh, band would you like to uh, see reunite? Well, the only bands that I'd probably consider really as some one of my priorities in terms of reuniting is one that Brandon's actually mentioned there, Oasis. Uh, I mean, uh, as you know, George, and as some of our listeners may know, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Noel and Liam Gallagher, uh, both when they were in Oasis, but also the stuff they've done since then. Um, however, I'd say that I'm not actually even sure I'd want Oasis to reunite because I'm actually quite a big fan of what they're doing um, since they've left Oasis. And and I just think it Sometimes it's best to just leave things to the imagination as such and accept the fact that maybe things were really good back then and they were one of the best bands back then when when they were in their heyday, but they're now quite a lot older and I don't think Oasis reuniting um, would necessarily be as good as what people think. Right then, uh, we've reached the time to end that segment of the show. But remember that we'll be announcing the question. Um, what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. And um, we've reached time for our first song break. So we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second question of this evening. And we're asking, should there be a second Leveson Inquiry into press standards? So for those of you who do not know what the Leveson Inquiry was, it was an inquiry that uh, took place around 2012. Um, and it was all due to the hacking scandal that um, newspapers had been hacking into celebrities and uh, royals' phones to listen into conversations and produce public uh public stories about them and the review was about making sure that the british culture and that the, the way that british standards went forward was um sorry the recommendations that came out from it was to say that there should be an independent body to replace the existing press complaints commission um which would then be recognized by um the united kingdom as a new set of laws to ensure that privacy and press standards were uh kept in line in terms of making sure that that people did not indulge into people's private lives effectively and We've asked this question because obviously I'm sure a lot of you know, due to the devastating um, and heartbreaking news regarding Caroline Flack, um, I genuinely hand on my heart. I think uh, when I've heard a lot of celebrities pass away, they, they haven't affected me as much as it did when I heard that Caroline Flack had passed away. I, I was in utter shock. Um, and it has really opened up another conversation about how press um, possibly influences people and how they make comments about people as well. So, Callum, 
Do you think the way forward to ensure that we are keeping the press in check to not publish uh, personal and possibly fibbing stories about celebrities should be should we have a second Leveson inquiry? I I think we should have a second Leveson inquiry because um, yeah, as, as you say, I mean, obviously with what's happened with with Caroline Flack, I mean. Uh, devastated news as you say and and really really terrible how um a lot of newspapers but also so on social media as well really hounded her mm. um to, mm. in the final few kind of months of her life um and i think they are in that context we we need to be looking into what the press is doing um and and when they're pursuing these celebrity stories, to what extent are they really in the public interest um, to to be exposing those kind of things? I mean, with the Caroline Flack example, we um, now maybe it's quite a minor one compared to what she did have to suffer. But on the day um, that we found out, unfortunately, she had died. Um, they, uh, the, I think it was the Sun, published an article about the fact that there was a Valentine's Day card going round um, that was was mocking her in yeah. some way. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't actually ever see the story beyond the headline as such, but um, clearly, I mean, that is to you know what, what value does that add? as journalism other than to to upset Caroline Flack mm. but I do also think that when if a second Leveson inquiry does happen or or it would probably be named something else we need to be really clear about the fact that there, there is a dangerous road to be walked in terms of the and not necessarily maybe in Caroline Flack's case but a lot of celebrities are quite happy uh, to have the limelight, to have the the press um, writing stories about them all the time, it's fun favourably towards them, and all the time times are good. But then they expect that they can then kind of invoke their right to privacy um, in doing very similar things to what they've done before, because maybe the the newspapers are now spinning these negatively, or something bad's happened in their life and I think we have to be careful there in terms of how much power does that give to people in power as such i.e. not journalists um, and, and more like celebrities how much power does it give to them if we say that we can only ever print um, things that are favourable about them I think it's a really difficult kind of quandary to face as such um but i think it's something worth bearing in mind um when we're talking about this and i and just i know i've spoke a lot but just one final thing in terms of that for me personally i don't see there's much public value in celebrity tabloid journalism as such of any kind really but we have to accept the fact that a lot of people do and that is the main content of news that they consume um, and and so we've got to find a way of of making it so that we don't end up hounding people's lives in, in the way we saw with Caroline Flack. Um, what, what do you think, George? 
<clears throat> yeah, I, I, everything you've said, Callum, is is very true, and um, I mean you are in a very good position to to talk about all of this. Um, I think that for a very long time, ever since I think social media came about, and and the the rights of individuals were more um, recognised by the government and by industries as well. Um, there has always been this argument of what do we balance the freedom of press or the freedom of speech and sometimes they do conflict with each other um there is no doubt about that and you're very correct kind of in saying that is it actually news to release uh stories about celebrities that sometimes haven't been in the limelight for a couple of months that are choosing to live their lives in the shadows to make sure that they aren't uh, being seen by paparazzi and, and the newspapers and the news and actually just trying to live their own life. But then ultimately you do have the celebrities that do live their lives by being on the front cover of newspapers. And I think that when it gets to press, we are very quick to criticize it for making mistakes but we are never really that quick to congratulate it when it actually does good work. I think that there are definitely elements of if the press wasn't about, we would not know half the stuff that goes on. There are definitely evidence to show that if the press didn't come about to produce, even if it was just uh, like advertising or awareness of certain things that we would still not be aware of them if it wasn't for the press. Now, I do agree that we should have a second Leveson inquiry or, as Callan says, whatever it will be called. But ultimately, I think that we should, in a way, reinterpret or redefine uh, the way that we uh, talk about the press. Because I don't think that we should just be talking about the press that release stories and try and produce an income. To me, people that are producing stories are also those that are on social media. A newspaper or an article can go ahead and publish whatever they uh, believe to be true and it can be published. It is then the comments that go on underneath that that are, I feel, the devastation that can happen to someone and the utter rudeness that can happen as well. Because at the end of the day, whatever is published has somebody's name underneath it, who that journalist is. When you publish something on social media off an account, there is no uh, personal signature at the bottom of it. There is no accountability at the bottom of it because it's through a phone, it's through a laptop. And I think if a quarry goes on, we have to look at how we can not just look into press standards, but also the standards of those that are using social media. And I don't think that we should, uh, there should be a difference between the press that we know through the sun, the news and so on and so forth, but also the press that is done on social media. Because by doing that, I think we can start making a way forward to ensuring that things aren't being said about people that aren't true, that will make people um, become self-conscious, self-doubting and put them in a position like Caroline Flack was. Um, and, I, and I think that is the only way that we can truly move forward. And the social media Companies like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, 
need to actually stand up on on these issues and allow governments like ours, allow inquiries like ours to take to, to, to take place to ensure that things like this never happen again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, social media has a big question to answer because all this week we've unfortunately seen, I mean, really not then the lessons, I think, but mm. we've seen a lot of mudslinging from people um, on social media in terms of blaming the tabloids completely for Caroline Fack's death, but we've also then seen maybe the tabloids blaming social media or blaming um, ITV themselves. Uh, and, you know, we've, we've seen this this real blame game yeah. um, regarding what is an unfortunate, a really, really unfortunate young woman's death and well before her time. Um, but really what we don't want to do is do this mudslinging and just blaming each other. What, what we need to do is accept the fact that the media has responsibility for this. Social media has responsibility. Yeah. ITV themselves have responsibility um, for this. Um, and w- when we accept that, then we can really, you know, hopefully actually make a difference and prevent this kind of thing happening again, because it, it, it's really ludicrous. And in the 21st century, things like this are happening, that a young woman's being hounded um, to death in in many senses. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Right, Okay. so it is now time for our second zone break of this evening. And remember to vote on this question. Should there be a second Leveson inquiry into press standards? And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. Uh, And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, uh, should there be a second Leveson inquiry? And to find out the results of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at WizRadio. Right then, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, what is the best takeaway uh, out of the following? And I'll read those options in a minute. So takeaways are a staple of British life. Although with rising obesity around the country, This is not often a positive association. Even so, in moderation, takeaways can be fairly harmless and a nice treat after a particularly drab day or a tough week. But tonight we want to find out what's the best of them all and decide what George and I should have for food after the show. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding about that part, but the question does still remain. So we pick the following options in our takeaway off. Curry, Chinese. Italian, Turkish, or chip shops. So, George, which of these is the best? Well, uh, I've got, I've got to. Ah, oh, no, it's a hard one. This is, this is so hard. This is like I'm sitting down uh, on a Saturday evening. And my mum's gone. Oh, what takeaway should we have? And I'm like, I don't know. And she's going, Well, pick one. And then she throws the menus at me, and I'm like, I don't know, mum. And then. <laughs> Uh, I just pick Chinese. So, and I always do pick Chinese because I, I think personally, if we're talking about takeaways, it's very different to talking about sitting down in a restaurant. If we yeah. were saying that we were going to sit down in a restaurant and have a meal, I would absolutely 100% bat for curry. 
Um, But I don't believe that when you get a takeaway curry, it's the same as sitting down in a restaurant. The food just isn't as, um, I don't know, it just doesn't feel the same, doesn't taste the same to me. Whereas for me with a Chinese, I think sitting down in a restaurant, the food doesn't taste as good as if you get it as a takeaway. I don't know, Chinese being in those little plastic boxes, um, I don't know, it obviously makes the food more flavoursome and and allows it to (laughs) marinate. plastic getting into the food, love it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really good for you. Um, So I would would have to have to say that I will be uh, battered for for Chinese food here because it is probably one of my favourite things to order. uh, And I would say I at least probably have it as a takeaway two times a month. Um, Blimey. I know, sometimes a little bit more, but we don't talk about that. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, and I, I again... If I look at Italian, I think to myself, yeah, that's a nice staple food. And I love I love Italian. It's my favorite food overall. But as a takeaway, yeah, I don't really moderate. And I'm going to say it. I don't like Domino's pizzas. I don't like Pizza Hut pizzas. Um, I'm very fussy with where my pizza comes from. And I and I like my pizza proper, not rubbish. Um, so, Callum. Apart from on a drunken night out, when you obviously always go to the Turkish and get a kebab and then regret getting it, um, which one of these are you going to bat for? I'd probably have to agree with you, George. Oh. I, I think it, if kind of money's no object as such, then the takeaway I'd probably go for every time would be Chinese. Um, I mean, I, don't, I actually get it. Much less regularly than what you do, George. <laughs> um, partly because it costs a lot, but also because I, I actually, nowadays, I mean, I, at uni, first time around, I used to get a takeaway probably once a week. I, I now don't get one. I probably get one once every couple of months, really. Um, probably more, I get more food like that when I come back home than, mm. than I do when I'm, when I'm living um, up here. Um, but I do think the Chinese is definitely the best takeaway out of those if, if money was no object. As you say, George, after a, a, a night out, um, I do quite like to get a Turkish, get a kebab, um, or, or even go to a, to a chip shop. I, I used to always, um, when I was at Birmingham, I used to, after pretty much every night out, I used to buy chips with curry sauce. Uh, and I do absolutely love that. Um, and and I think you're right, George. Though that it, it does slightly depend upon you know what we're talking about here. I mean, if we're talking about takeaway, which obviously is is the question, then um, something like a curry, I think you're right, isn't quite as good as what it is in a restaurant. So, same with an Italian. Um, although I would say, George, that um, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I do, I do. Well, I don't really like Domino's that much. I do, I do agree with you there, but I do like a um a, a cheap pizza as such. I, I do, I love our eighteen when we get our eighteen inch pizza, George, and that, I thought oh, you yeah, liked it too. That's that's different. I I like those because they're cooked properly. The Domino's pizzas are done on a factory line, and it tastes disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. I mean, I've always found with Domino's pizza probably wrong but the crust just tastes weird in domino's pizza yeah for me it always reminded me a bit of like 
cat hair or something. <laughs> I'm not, um, I don't want to. Cat hair? Yeah, the, or, or, or just hair. It's what it tasted like to me. I'm not, a, just to be clear, because I don't want to be done for libel or something like that. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that Domino's put cat hair or anything in their pizza. I'm just saying that to, to my taste buds, they must be mucked up. You're just saying that if someone found cat hair in it, you wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> no comment on that one. <laughs> um, what, what, so which of these do you think is it's your, your least favourite takeaway? Uh, probably, probably Turkish, because it's the, it's the last one I would choose to actually have at home. Um, because I always find, I mean, I love a kebab, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but I always find a kebab never sits well on my belly. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I always eat it and then about half an hour later I really regret eating it. Um, and it's always very greasy kebabs. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I think that the weird, the weird thing about you saying when you, uh, used to go out in Birmingham, you used to get chips and curry sauce. But when we used to go out in Ramsgate, everyone used to get chips and I used to get a Savoy sausage. <laughs> yeah, you used to just get one and then eat yeah. it really weirdly. Well, I was a little bit, drunk so <laughs> well yes that's true <laughs> what, what out of those is your least favorite Callum I think in terms of the after experience I agree kebabs do not sit well at all um even if I've not gone out really and and, and drunk anything I, I do um seem to um if I if I get a, a kebab the next day I feel really groggy and almost like I'm yeah. hungover. But as I say, if I haven't drunk anything, there's no reason why I should be um, hungover. So so I I just don't think they do um, repeat well. I mean, as you say, they're about 80% grease or something, I think. But in the moment, I do love a kebab, to be fair. Um, but I, I, I think probably that that would be, you know, my, my least favourite out of these. I mean... George, just you—you you mentioned the fact that Italian's your your favourite cuisine overall. Would you ever get takeaway pasta? Uh, no. Why I think, not? Well, because I, I can. Well, actually, that defeats the the uh, the point. But I was I was just about to say because I can cook it at home. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think you could cook any. I think you could cook a curry at home, George. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I, no, I just, I just wouldn't, it wouldn't sit well with me at all. I mean, I might as well just get a ready meal from the co-op and then take it home, put the fork in the top and then put it in the microwave. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess that's true. I mean, I, I, I do agree with you. I think I, I wouldn't, certainly not from like a, not from a takeaway like what, in my head, we're talking about, I mean, at, at work, we used to always get, like, they did little pots of, of pasta sort of thing. Um, but this was more like a little lunchtime thing, and, and that was actually really nice pasta. So I suppose... Where was that from? Uh, so it was called Coco de, de Mama, uh, was the place it, it was called. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a bit like... Yeah, just little pots of pasta and then they poured sauce over it, sort of thing. But they used to cook the pasta all fresh. You saw them do it in front of you. Um, so I guess maybe that's slightly differently. I mean, 
I, I was more when I asked the question originally, I was talking about, you know, you um on like pizza menus, you quite often see they do like a bolognese and maybe like a chicken and mushroom pasta or something like that. And, yeah. and I can't think of anything worse, I don't think, but maybe I should try it just to see what it's like. Well, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. You might find a new love in takeaway bolognese. Yeah, although I'm not actually that massive a fan of bolognese as it is. Oh, there's always a problem, isn't there? There always is. Uh, which are, what's going to come out on top here? I I think that uh, for the best takeaway, ah, oh, I'm going to say curry. Okay, okay. I think, hmm, very difficult. <clears throat> I'm going to agree with you there because I'm going to hedge my bets. Uh, <laughs> right then, it's now time for you guys to vote away on this question. What is the best takeaway out of the following? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And those options again are curry, Chinese, Italian, Turkish or chip shops. And we'll be back very soon. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we ask, what is the best takeaway out of the following? And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page, that's at WizRadio. Right, okay, so let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. And we're asking, would you rather go abroad or stay in the UK for your next holiday? So it is getting to that time of year where I'm sure a lot of you have actually probably already booked your summer holidays. Or if you are thinking about it, you're thinking, where should we go? Should we go abroad? Should we stay here? And I have just come back from holiday uh, last Thursday. I came back from a lovely place called the Sandy Balls, um, <laughs> which it's, it's a real name. It's in the New, new Forest. Um, the reason it's called the Sandy Balls is because you overlook a field um, and there are two sand balls. Um Hence the name. Stands so, for reason. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, and I genuinely had a very, very lovely week. It was relaxing. I mean, the weather wasn't amazing, but you can't really expect the best weather when you're here at this time of year. Um, and I just, it just made me really think. When I book a holiday, should I maybe look more at staying in the UK than going abroad? Because sometimes we do have fabulous summers. But Callum, what? Uh, where would you rather go? Would you rather be lying on the beach in Spain or sitting having an ice cream on Brighton Pier? <laughs> well, I think we're at a disadvantage here, George, because the trouble oh. is we live so close to the neck or, or or in basically the best place on earth, and um, that for everyone else um, in in the audience as such, they would want to go to Margate on holiday, of course. But for us, it, it's not quite the same, is it, going to, to where, where you no. basically live? Um, so, so we're probably not very representative. And, and obviously, we're expecting that this poll is going to be massively in favour of staying in the UK and going going down to Margate. Uh, <laughs> we'll never do that again. That's, that's, what, that's what my holiday is. Callum lives very very close to margate um and next year i've i've booked into the girl residence and i'm staying there for a month oh god um there's been a, a markup on the booking George, so we i'm not sure that you can stay sorry oh, i paid for it though 
what we'll do is we'll set up a, ca- a, t- a tent, sorry, a tent. Uh, just just in 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 my garden or on the drive. But you'd have to keep moving it um, every time someone wants to come and park their car. But they but it said I could park the, my car on the driveway. Well, you gotta park it all in the same spot, haven't you? Then right, you can just sleep in your car. Thanks, mate. Yeah, I'll I'll rate that five stars on TripAdvisor. Yeah, yeah, I know it's top, it's top. <laughs> um, right, that's the question. In all seriousness, um, I see. I I I prefer realistically. I'd love to come across and say I prefer to go to the UK, but it's not true. I prefer going abroad. Um, I I, I feel that when you go on a trip within the UK. It doesn't quite feel the same as going on holiday abroad. There's that experience of different culture, but also just a real geographical distance from your normal life. That I think when you go on holiday within the UK, you just don't quite get that in the same way. Mm. Um, And I think that on that basis, I'd say that I'd rather go abroad than than stay in the UK. for my next holiday uh, i suppose i am as well for my next holiday going abroad so it's quite good isn't it uh george what about you um well i i love holidaying uh in the uk um i very much like going up to wales and especially in the north of wales and and experiencing the the landscape and the views and the roads that they have up there it's i absolutely adore it um and I, I very much think it's it really depends on what you want to get out of a holiday. If you want to go and relax and get a tan um, and, I don't know, just just be abroad, then absolutely go abroad. But if you want to go on a holiday that's a bit more, uh, won't be as warm, you've got to pack a bit differently, you won't be able to necessarily relax as much, but you can have a hot tub and if you if you want that kind of holiday then stay in the uk and it's very hard to to try and think which one you actually want when you come to book a holiday um but i will always try and have at least one holiday um in the united kingdom i i mean as i said i'm i i went to uh the sandy pools last week and then uh shout out callum and then uh in july i'm going up to uh silverstone which is another holiday um obviously in the united kingdom it's all right for some isn't it it is, yeah. Thanks, Callum. Um, maybe if you get a successful job, you can be like me. Um, the- <laughs> <laughs> wow, charming, absolutely oh, charming. Very, his his mask sorry. slips now, doesn't it? <laughs> we we all see what George is really like. I I only do it because I have to act all brave on here because you're normally really horrible to me off the air. So I have to show oh. everyone else that I'm really nice. Oh horrible. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm horrible to you off the air. I am. <laughs> I am a delight, George. I am a delight. Well, I mean, I disagree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think is going to come out on top here, Callum? I think people would rather go abroad. To be honest with you, George. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, you went very kind of Nessa like there. Um, yeah, yeah, I would, I would say people. As it goes, George. I think, <laughs> I think. No, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna yeah, stop. No, just starting to sound a bit racist. Um, I yeah, I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> so I think that I would 
say that people will say to go abroad, but I think they should say stay in the UK. Um, right. So remember, you can vote on this. Would you rather go abroad or stay in the UK for the next holiday at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. Um, and we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, would you rather go abroad or stay uh, in the UK for your next holiday? Uh, and to find out the results of that, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. So we, I mean, who knows whether we're all going on a summer holiday or not? Um, we'll have to find out. But <laughs> everyone, I nearly sung that during that break. I thought I'm going to sing that. But then I was, I got to it and I got a bit nervous. Go on, George. Go on. <clears throat> Give us just a, no. a, few, a few notes. All right. You ready? Yeah. We're all going on a summer holiday. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. That was really not as bad as I thought it was going to be, to be honest, but we'll, we'll just slide past that. I think that's the next number one. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Cliff might have something to say about that. Move aside Stormzy, whoever you <laughs> are. Um, right, so let's <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to uh, To Discussed with Cup and Go. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your opinions on the question, are your views on social issues similar to your parents? You can send in those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizradio. So remember that question is, are your views on social issues similar to your parents and we're looking forward to hearing those opinions next week but it's now time for George and I to say ciao for now so I've been the wonderful Callum Kerr and I have been the I suppose he's alright George Cup <laughs> uh, thanks very much for listening everybody we'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts, or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.